All right. Well, welcome to Chase Oaks and welcome to The Gamble, which is this five week. We're already three weeks in this five week experience sermon uh, series, as well as small group experience designed to help us uncover the bad bets, some of the bad bets we base our lives on, some of the assumptions in our culture that just feel so right, but actually are, are not serving us at all. And, and really even things that drive us and drive our decisions and drive our lives unknowingly where we don't even want to go, thinking we're going somewhere great. And today we're talking about what drives us. Today we're talking about ambition and just stopping to say, hey, what is driving my life and where am I even going? Because we're a driven culture. We're an ambitious culture. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I overheard a conversation. I didn't know these people. I was eavesdropping because sometimes I do that. And I know that sounds creepy, but you do it, too. And I, I, so I just heard this conversation. It was a couple of ladies talking. And one of them asked about their child, like an adult child. And um, said, you know, how are they doing? And the answer came back. Oh, she's killing it. Totally killing it. Then they started talking. Well, I didn't know these people would probably never know these people. But there was something in me right away in my head. It's warped. But they, they went in this competition mode because I was like, well, what about my kids? You know, are they kill. I was like, oh, they're totally killing. It. In fact, I bet they're killing it way more than that bozo they're talking about is killing it. And and why would I get competitive like that? And it just kind of this driven thing because I want my kids to kill it. I want to kill it. I want our church to kill it. Right. And so as I thought about well, what does it mean to really be killing it? I did some research, some Instagram research. And, uh, and I went, you know, I went on Instagram with hashtag killing it. And thought, yeah, what does it mean to kill it? Well, what I found out when I went on Instagram with hashtag killing it is that there are a lot of people, millions of people in our country who believe they're definitely killing it. And they definitely want us to know how much they're killing it. And they put all these pictures to show, you know, show proof of that. And some of them put pictures of possessions like houses or cars, some of them of a new office or a new job or something or a new relationship. A lot of people put body pictures like they're totally killing it that way, like guys who put pictures of their abs and say hashtag killing it. And in case you're curious, since I'm wearing a shirt um, and I'm not going to lift it up, I am not hashtag killing it when it comes to my abs. I know that is shocking, but I haven't uh, I haven't been to the gym since the pandemic started and they closed down, you know, everything. Haven't been back yet, but it did motivate me to go think, man, maybe I should I mean, go back, get a six pack and then I'd be killing it. And I could even preach with like a cut off T-shirt. Wouldn't that be cool? Like you, you'd go to that church and be like, yeah, my pastor, you know, it could be a here for good T-shirt. But, you know, just, you know, so who knows? Maybe we'll do that. But, you know, we want to be killing it. Right. I mean, and there's nothing really wrong with wanting to kill it. One, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and, and having goals and wanting to accomplish and wanting to make an impact and do great. In fact, that's part of how you and I are created. The Bible says we're created in God's image, in God's likeness. And he is an accomplisher. He's ambitious. Um, like You see that in the days of creation, all the way back in Genesis, the six days of creation. At the end of each day of creation, as he's created these different things, it says that at the end of the day, he looks and he says, hashtag killing it. OK, he doesn't say that, but he says, this is good. In one case, this is really good. I wonder if, if, if there was Instagram and God had a page back then, he might do something like this. You know, 
Day two, oceans. That's when he created the ocean. Hashtag killing it. Because the ocean, pretty cool, right? Pretty good. And uh, don't know if he'd do it or not, but, you know, I know he kills it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to kill it. And there's nothing wrong with ambition. I wouldn't want to live without ambition. It's what gets me up every day. It's what gets you up every day. It's what gets us through difficult times, difficult seasons like the one that we're in. We need it. Ambition is good unless it's not good. Because there is a, a version of killing it that really drives our culture where killing it is killing us. And killing what we really want most in terms of depth of relationship and depth of soul and peace and real meaning and real significance. And what, what Jesus came, one of the things he came to offer is a version of killing it that doesn't kill us, but actually gives us life way bigger than we could imagine. He wants to give us a major upgrade of our ambition because otherwise what really drives our culture is just self-advancement, is selfish ambition. Paul uh, in Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Because anything would you have selfish ambition is like driving off a cliff. It doesn't lead to meaning. It doesn't lead to significance. It doesn't lead to anything that we really want, even though it fuels us and gives us adrenaline and drives really much of our lives and much of our culture. And so this weekend, as we think about changing ambitions, which is what we're going to look at, is really an opportunity to just pause. And all of us, I don't care where you are in your journey with God. To say, you know what really is driving my life right now? And where am I headed? And I think this year, this January, more than maybe any other, at least in my lifetime, is a great time to do that after we've been through 2020 and a whole lot of, a whole lot of people evaluating their life in a deeper way going into 2021. In fact, already, um, it's being called the year of the churn, meaning as people are evaluating their life, uh, a, a lot of people are looking at that as they look at our culture and what they're predicting is that there'll be more change, more churn than ever as people evaluate their lives. Like, where do I want to live? You know, what do I really want to work at this wherever I work anymore? Is this really what I even want to do? Do I still want to work or do I have to or whatever? There's going to be a lot of change. Um, some say as much as 30 percent of jobs uh, changing churning as people make all these evaluations and it's a therefore the year of the churn would be great for all of us right now to think deeper than we might and just say hey what would it look like to churn my ambition to change my ambition to what jesus really calls us because we can either be driven by self-ambition or jesus ambition and they lead to two very different places now we're going to look at that and challenge ourselves by looking at the person that we just heard the verse in the Bible in Philippians 2, we're going to go to another passage in the same book in the New Testament, a guy named Paul. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, which is a classic Bible passage. It's one that I, as I look back, I preach it seems like every three or four years. I think in our culture, I should probably, that's such a driven culture, I should probably preach it every year. Um, but it's a, it's a passage where Paul talks about his turn. His change of ambition. And it always is impactful to me to think about every time I look at it, I just think, yeah, what is really, really driving my life? Because Paul talks about he, he was a driven guy. He's a type A charger, high accomplishment guy. If you had a company or whatever you do, school, anything, hospital, this is the kind of guy you'd want to hire. He had accomplished a lot before he met Jesus. And then he meets Jesus, becomes a Jesus follower. 
and has a whole upgrade, a whole change of ambition. And he talks about that in the chapter. He starts out this way. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Meaning before he met Jesus, he was hashtag killing it. And he said, you put all your pictures on Instagram. Let me put my pictures on Instagram. And I was going to do this passage as he lists all these ways that he was killing it. I was going to do these pictures like Instagram because I thought that would be creative. But the very first thing he lists killed that idea because he says circumcised on the eighth day. And I'm like, how am I going to picture that like that? That's not going to be good. So, so much for that idea. I shouldn't even mention that. I know some of you are, and, and I know you hate a lot of you. If you have kids, especially if you're watching online and you got kids, you're like, Jeff, move on. You know, we really don't want to ask questions right now or have questions asked right now. And so I will move on. I won't even make any jokes about it, even though I want to. But I know some of you, if you're if you're new to church and all that, you're like, why is that? Like, if he's going to brag about something, I mean, why that? Like, that's really beyond weird. Right. But what he's talking about is religious accomplishment, because in that culture, it was a culture, the Jewish culture at the time built around religion. And it was the religious leaders who were at the top of the pyramid. Like we are in a capitalistic culture. We value business leaders at the top or maybe professional athletes at the top. Like, whoa. But in that culture, it was religious leaders. Paul is talking about and he was at the top of that pyramid. And, and in Judaism, it's built. The first thing God asked them to do was, if they're a guy, to be circumcised and as babies on the eighth day. He's just saying, I did it right from the beginning. I did it right from day eight. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, they were really into their heritage. And he's saying, hey, I'm not only born an Israelite uh, in, in Jew by birth. But I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which was a there are 12 tribes. That was a good one to be from with some back bragging rights. A Hebrew of Hebrews. When you put those two words together in the original language of the Bible of the New Testament, it's just a way of like saying uh, I, I'm a Hebrew times 10. I'm like a super Hebrew. Like if there was a superhero, superhero, you know, Hebrew, that's what he was. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, if you're. If you've been around Christianity and you read the New Testament, especially Jesus and the Pharisees, you know that they were at each other a lot. And so when we hear Pharisee, we're like, boo, you know, or somebody said, oh, you're such a Pharisee. And you and you know about Christianity, you'd be like, you know, you'd be offended. Like, that's not a good thing. But understand, 2000 years ago in Jewish culture, when Paul lived, like the Pharisees were extreme. They were they were at the top of the respect ladder. Nobody, people didn't say boo. They were like, wow, that's amazing. Like if, if Paul, if anybody ever talked to Paul's mom and was like, hey, what does your son do? Be like, oh, killing it. He's a Pharisee. They'd be, oh, that's amazing. You must be so proud. It'd be a big, really big deal. And Paul was at the very top of the respect ladder. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Hard to beat faultless. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He was passionate. He was zealous. He was committed so much so that when Christianity comes out of out of Judaism, because Jesus, the claim be the Messiah, promised to the nation, you know, the people of God, the nation of Israel, who and, and actually God who came around this planet. Paul wasn't buying it. And he thought, man, this is dangerous, this Christianity, this upstart thing. And, and we need to stamp it out. And he was committed to stamping it out so much so that he arranged people to be imprisoned and killed and all this. I mean, he was he was into it. And what he's saying is, before I met Jesus, I was at 
the top of the pyramid. I had everything. I had it all. Uh, we just heard the song. I want it all. I want it now. He had it all. He, he would have had that would have brought fame and notoriety and respect and wealth and a comfortable life and power and influence. He had all of that. But then he began a relationship with Jesus. He became a Jesus follower instead of persecuting Jesus followers. He realizes, wait a minute, he really is God who came here. And he becomes a Jesus follower. And when he does, all that stuff he worked for all his life, he loses. But here's his perspective about it. Next verse. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And all those things I listed, he lost. He lost his comfort, his wealth, his fame, his notoriety, his respect all over. I mean, he lost all that when he became a Jesus follower and a leader in, in the movement. But he said, I'm OK with that because all those things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Another way of talking about spiritual growth, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. This is his new ambition. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, meaning being raised to this whole new way of life. The Phillips translation, we fill verse 10 right in the middle of the passage words it like this. How changed for my ambitions. Now I want to know Christ. Paul had a turn. He had a change of ambition when he met Jesus and all those things that mattered so much to him. He's like, you know what? I mean, looking back, that was nothing compared to knowing Jesus and knowing Christ and serving his purposes. In fact, he says all that stuff was garbage in relation. Now, some of you have been around Chase Oaks for a while and you've heard me preach this passage before. And you may even remember the Greek word translated garbage in this passage because it is a. Uh, New Testament written in Greek. Uh, this was a, a, a Greek cuss word, a Greek bad word. Like you would spank your kids if they said this word. Uh, you would uh, you would never hear this word in church, even though Paul uses it in that would be read out loud in the church of Philippi. Um, when he says garbage, it's, it's a word for excrement, but it was a bad word. Uh, the Greek word scubula. Go ahead and just say it wherever you are. Scubula. Uh, say it again. Scubula. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? And shame on you, because that's a cuss word. It's a bad word. Um, and really, 2,000 years ago, if you were in church and you just shout out scubula, like the ushers would come and say, excuse me, you know, we're going to need to, you know, you, you just didn't do that. Um, you didn't say scubula. We have an equivalent of that that you can imagine for excrement, right? It rhymes with spit. Got to be careful how I even do that word, um, right? And, and if I said that word, you'd be really upset. And you'd email me, and I've gotten a few of those already. So I'm not going to do that. But with scubula, right, you uh, it, it was a shocker. And Paul was not a person who was loose with his language. He talks about that even in this book in the Bible that don't use bad words, don't do this kind of stuff. But he chooses to do that because he's making a really, really big point because he had it all. Everything in his culture that people were driven to achieve. And he's like, you know what? Compared to what Jesus offers, it's just a bunch of scubula. It's all it is. And his new goal 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. That you you and I have a choice. If we're driven by self-advancement and selfish ambition, it just leads to scuba. But Jesus offers so much more in the way he words it. I want to know Christ. This is his new ambition. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I want to know Jesus. I want to grow in my relationship with him. But as he talks about knowing Jesus, he talk, he says, here's what that means. The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Let's dive deeper into those phrases. Power of his resurrection. Here's the reality he's talking about. And Paul talked about this a lot. He even prayed that that God would help us somehow get it. And and what, and what it is to get is this. That when you and I begin a relationship with Jesus, and I know some of you are considering that, you're not there yet, I, that's great, and I'm glad you're on the journey. But for those who, uh, who have done that, or when you do, when we begin a relationship with Jesus, he, God, the Bible says that God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our life. And that all of the power of God is within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Meaning you and I have available to us, not just to do whatever we want to do, but his mission. We have available to us the unlimited power of God that's beyond anything that we could even imagine is right there within us. We as a church, we're built around three invitations. Come as you are, be transformed, make a difference. The power to be transformed, the power to make a difference. God using you powerfully to make a difference in the world. There's more power available than we can even imagine. And it's right there. And a lot of times we think, well, I don't know that God will ever do anything through me. I'm not that gifted. I'm not that. It doesn't matter. It's about his power that's at work in us. Or you think, oh, I'll never get over that struggle. I'll never get over that. I'm just not that. You know, I, I, I'm a struggler. I'm never. It doesn't matter. It's the power of God to help you get over our struggles. Or I, I mean, I could keep going with this. Right. But God, God's power is at work in us. And what Paul is saying is. I want to know more and more and more of that because you and I, as I don't care how long you've been a Jesus follower, you and I just live in the tiniest little percentage of the ocean of God's power. We just like live in a little thimbleful of God's power when there's an ocean of that available to us. It's kind of like the brain. You know, people talk about how we just use 10 percent of our brain and what would it be like if we used 100 percent of our brain. And, and actually, new brain science shows that that's actually kind of a myth. That actually that our brain is actually uh, most of it fires up most of the time. Um, and so most of us actually do use way more than 10 percent of our brain. But I am from Alabama. And so, you know, to be honest, it, it, I, we we probably lose use about 10 percent of our brain and uh, Alabama fans. I mean, you see us on TV. Don't, they always show, you know, those kind of people. Right. That are like, you know, uh, I don't, like in the national championships and stuff. There's always this, you know, guy kind of Bubba or whatever. He's like. You know, roll tide, 18 championships, you know, whatever. And so I, I so maybe people like me use about 10 percent of our brains. Most people use more than that. But just think about that analogy. And that's what Paul is saying is, man, what if we used all of it or what if we lived in more of it because it's unlimited and we act like we're powerless. In terms of how God can change our lives and use us to change this world when and he invites us to live more and more in the deep end of his power. And Paul is just saying, that's what I want to experience. And then he says the participation in his sufferings. What does that mean? I mean, who wants to sign up for that? You know, suffering. Well, he's not just talking about suffering for suffering's sake. Like, 
you know, we go through stuff because we live in a fallen world. One day Jesus will come back. He'll fix it. That'll be heaven. It'll be awesome. In the meantime, things happen. I lost my brother a few months ago. I hate it. I'm still, you know, I'm grieving. I, I, I hate it every time I think about it. Uh, you've suffered. You're right, we, there's a lot of suffering going on right now. It's not just that kind of suffering that happens to everybody. That's not what he's talking about. We do go through that. When we go to Jesus in our pain, we do grow. It's really meaningful. It's a really powerful growth engine in our life, even though it's really difficult. But he's talking about suffering, not just because we live in this fallen world like everybody else. He's talking about suffering for Christ, for Jesus's purposes. Because when Jesus came here, he didn't come just to suffer for the sake of suffering. He came to suffer for the sake of others. As he said, the son of man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and give his life away for the ransom of many. And Jesus invites you and me to be those people who give away our lives, give away our comfort, give away whatever for the sake of others, for the sake of the mission. And when you and I give away something, when we sacrifice, when we suffer for the sake of Christ, we participate in his sufferings and it draws us closer to him. And the truth is, I said this last week, um, I think when I was talking about wearing masks, which is a really small way to suffer for Jesus in church. But nevertheless, we are never more like Jesus than when we sacrifice our lives for the sake of others. And that's the life he invites us in. And you and I always have that as a as an opportunity in front of us. But we have to choose. Am I going to live a Jesus driven life or a self driven life? And a Jesus-driven life means I'm going to have to set aside comfort. I'm going to maybe sometimes sacrifice, sometimes even suffer for the sake of Christ. But that's what I want to drive my life. I want to participate in what he's doing in the world and be part of that something bigger. And I remember when I first had that put in front of me, I was a teenager. And uh, and I was very comfortable in my school and all that. And in the group of people I hung around and all that, but none of them Jesus followers. And I knew that if I... If I outed myself as a Christian and started sharing with people about how they could come to know God through faith in Jesus. And if I was vocal about my faith and had that kind of impact in high school, that I would lose a lot. And and I had to make that choice. And some of you are students in junior high or high school, and you've got that in front of you, too. Same thing. It's not it's not going to make you probably more popular to say, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower and, you know, whatever. Right. It's it's not easy. But I remember uh, being impacted by this story of a guy named Jim Elliott. Google him. He was a missionary who, along with uh, five or six other guys, uh, had trained and trained to go uh, reach this unreached tribe called the Alka Indians in South America. And they go down there. They've been training, training, training. They land, go to meet these people, this unreached people group in this jungle. And day one, they're killed by the tribe. And later their wives go down and they end up reaching the people that killed their husbands and the whole tribe, the whole area came, became believers, became Christians. And it's an incredible story to Google. But here's the quote that got me in all of that. He said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he will never lose. And I remember thinking as a teenager, you know, I could live my life, just be comfortable do the normal thing for a bunch of stuff that just doesn't matter that now I would say scubula. Or I can give my life to something that will matter forever. And I did lose a lot. And it wasn't comfortable at school for me for a while. 
But I never felt closer to Jesus than in that loneliness and in that suffering and in a, as I did as a teenager in high school. And that's the participation in his sufferings. And it's what he invites us to, to choose, to give life to. And when we talk about saying, hey, I'm going to trade my ambition, self-ambition for Jesus' ambition and be part of what God is doing in the world and, and all that. A lot of times people think, oh, that means I need to quit my job and go be a missionary like that guy you just talked about or go be a pastor or something. That's not what it means. Like 1 Corinthians 7, other passages would tell us wherever you are in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your friendship circle, at your club, wherever you are, you're not just there by accident. You're there because God has placed you there. And, there, and God wants you to live a purposeful life right where you are. But it just not just with the, just the shallowness of, of self-advancement and selfish ambition, but to be in your career, to be in your school, to be wherever you are with a bigger ambition and to serve Jesus's purposes. A couple of weeks ago, I got to meet a business guy who lives that way, a chase oaker that was new to me. And it was just so cool to hear his story, how he's just just going to work every day with a different purpose, with a bigger purpose and saying, how can I be Jesus's person here? How can I serve God's purposes here? And it was just so cool to hear story after story after just what he's learning and how God's using him and all that. And, and he's going to get to the end of his life and look back and be like, man. For everything that I, every, everything that I sacrifice, every time is a little bit uncomfortable, whatever. Man, I am so thankful. Because otherwise, it would, I would just have scuba at a show for it. But instead, I've got to experience the power of God and living a mission that will outlast me forever. And that's the choice you and I have. We're a culture driven by self-advancement, driven by selfish ambition. And that'll lead to nowhere. And every once in a while, we just need to stop and ask ourselves, you know, what is driving my life? And what would it look like for me to say, I want it to be Jesus and his purposes for me? I want to, as Paul said, I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. So I'm going to give us a moment to evaluate our life in light of that, because I don't think there's a better year than 2021 at the beginning to do that. After all that we've been through in 2020. And for some of you, this might be choosing to, for the first time, to become a Jesus follower. To say, God, I want, I want you in my life and I want to live for you. For others of us, it's an opportunity just to evaluate what really is driving my life right now. And what would it look like if I went to school, work, neighborhood, wherever I go, with a whole new purpose, even this week? What would it look like, God? So with that in mind, let's bow our heads. And I invite you prayer just in this moment, talking to God and you don't have to use special language or and be impressive or anything. God's your father. He loves you. He just wants you to talk to him. And for some of you, this may be an opportunity to say, God, I, I don't want to just live for me and live for stupid stuff. I want to live for you. And I want you to come into my life. I want to begin a relationship. with you. I want, to, I want you to change me with your power and grow me. I want you to use me to make a difference in this world that is obviously so dark and broken. I, I want to be part of what you're doing in this world. I don't want to live for nothing. I want to live for something way beyond I could ever imagine. And, and that's really what it means to begin a relationship with God. And, and once we take that step, every once in a while, it's just a great opportunity to pause, to stop like we are now. And I invite you to do this if you are a Jesus follower and just say, God, what? Just speak into my life because what is really driving me right now?
whether it's in my family, my marriage, in my neighborhood, at work, at school, wherever I go, God, would you help me to go back this week with a new ambition to be your person there, to serve your purposes? God, I want to know your power. I don't want to live in the shallow end. I want to live in the deep end of your power. And I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings, meaning I want to give my life to your mission. And and sometimes that'll be uncomfortable. But just help me push through that so that I can live for something that matters and you can use me. You can grow me and use me to change this world. Thank you that you want to do that. And that you love to do your best through messy people, through imperfect people. And make us beautiful and do incredible things through broken people like us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.